here we are, 24 hours into our journey of exploring mindfulness of the body. It's quite a journey, is it not? The times that are pleasant are really pleasant, and the times that are difficult can be really difficult, and it keeps changing. Have you noticed? It keeps changing. There's not a fixity to this journey, but rather a moment-to-moment experience of it. And so tonight, as we take our next step in exploring mindfulness of the body, I would remind you once again that the very first uh, uh, direction, the prime, what is it they called it, the prime objective or the prime directive? Prime directive is to stay in the body. To stay in the body as you're listening to this talk, just as when you're doing your meditation, to stay in the body. And so why the body? Why this which we call body? Why is it so important? The Buddha said this in the Anutta Nikaya. Anutta Nikaya. There's one thing that when when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. Wow. And what is that one thing? It is mindfulness centered on the body. Reflect on that for a moment. Mindfulness centered on the body leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness, to clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. This is the entire spiritual path. This is the path to liberation. Starting here now in this very body. And of course the good news is we've all got one. You know, and we can find it. We can locate our experience in it. Is this not true? We can always locate our experience. When uh, 12 years ago, whenever it was, I first started teaching this retreat, maybe 15 years ago by now. One of the things that I encountered were yogis who would say, well, I can't feel my body. And I would say, well, describe that more to me more. Well, it's numb. And I just don't feel anything one way or the other. And, And I said, oh, no. That is what you're feeling. Numbness is a feeling of the body. Numbness is a kind of presence in the body. Just as much as you could feel pulsation or you could feel a kind of tightness, numbness is yet another feeling of the body. We can easily get into a a misperception about our access to the body. The way to work with that is rather than try to figure it out, Just stay with the body and trust that whatever you are feeling when you are with the body is feeling the body. So not a concept about it, but the direct experience. No matter how 
it turns out to feel to you. That feeling is good enough. That mindfulness is not with preference. Mindfulness is able to be with anything. Anything in our whole range of experience. So the amazement of being in this body. So, just as the Buddha said that, that there is one thing that leads to, he also said in the same sutta that there's a necessity, and he says it this way, if the body is not mastered, meaning by meditation, the mind cannot be mastered. If the body is mastered, then mind is mastered. Sometimes, just as we think we can't feel things in the body, we think that, oh no, it's my mind. I've got to jump ahead to my mind because all the suffering is in my mind. Not incorrect, but a, a false conclusion from a correct perception. Starting with the body, staying with the body, we learn how to wisely relate to the mind. Tonight, I would like us to look at an overarching vision of mindfulness of the body in such a way that it will uh, create the context for all the uh, various instructional sits that we'll be having during this retreat, and also a context for all the Dharma talks that my colleagues and I will be giving over the next few days. And I'd like to approach this in a three-part manner. First of all, I'd like to uh, review briefly with you the classic Buddhist teachings of mindfulness in the Theravadan tradition. And for many of you, this may be fairly new, including mindfulness itself. So I will include a bit of description of mindfulness itself. And uh, then after we do that exploration, I'd like us to then look at what is a body what is, do we mean when we use this word body? And always inviting you to ask for yourself. Well, what do I mean? Not what this, this teacher or that teacher or all the teachers mean when they say body. What does body mean for me? Because in our tradition, we're always handing the power of discernment, of wisdom, back to you. We work under a model of spiritual friend. We don't work under a guru model. Guru means remover of darkness. We, as the spiritual friend, are empowering you to be your own inner guru, to remove your own darkness. It's a very uh, specific kind of approach that is one of the beautiful things about this tradition uh, because of that emphasis on the returning of empowerment. Both models work, but this is, this is a more unusual model maybe uh, in terms of what you will be exposed to. And then the, th the third thing I would like us to do, if we have time, is to look at a body in terms of the immediacy of body, the immediacy of the nowness that is to be found in the body, the immediacy of nowness, the immediacy of experience, the immediacy of our awareness, the immediacy of our aliveness right now that's available to us that is so often overlooked as we get up in the old coconut and experience everything. Interpret experience rather than feel experience. Interpret experience rather than be experience. We miss the experience 
with all of our interpretations. So this immediacy of experience that's available to us. I collect uh, therapy uh, cartoons, various kind of psychotherapy cartoons. And one of my favorites is Humpty Dumpty is sitting on the psychotherapist couch, this Freudian model of that. So Humpty Dumpty's lying there on the couch, all this, all cracked up from his experience, having been put back together by all the king's men. And uh, the, the Freud figure is sitting there, and he says very thoughtfully with a slight amount of irritation, well, actually, what we'd like to do is see you be able to put yourself back together. <laughs> and that's the idea that uh, we're going to all get caught at times in our lives until we're arahants, completely liberated. So how do we free ourselves? How do we put ourselves back together when we get caught in various kinds of emotions or memories or circumstances that are difficult or body pains that are hard or emotional pain? How do we do that? How do we ground ourselves? How do we come back to a sense of well-being that is independent of the conditions? A sense of meaning, a, a, a sense of clarity that is independent of the conditions we find ourselves in. That is the offering of this practice. And it all starts with mindfulness of the body in the body. Repeating again, not the coconuts version, but our heart felt, our, our intuition, our sense felt, our felt sense of body, the body here and now. So to uh, refer first to mindfulness itself, it's called sati, S-A-T-I, sati in, in Pali. And sati, the mindfulness, means being present for whatever is being experienced. In a secular dictionary definition of mindfulness, it simply means being present. It is practical. It is ethically neutral. It's ethically neutral in just that word looking it up in the dictionary. So if you're being mindful and, uh, and you're a thief, you're less likely to get caught. And there's, there's, there's a couple of places the Buddha refers to wrong mindfulness. So that's, it, you, it can be used for anything just as that way. But what we teach, what you're part of, is samasati, wise mindfulness. Wise mindfulness is part of the eightfold path. The eightfold path, that is the way we move to liberating the mind-heart. It is the fourth of the, fourth of the four noble truths, these, this eightfold path. And the, the eightfold path is one path with eight folds. It's not eight steps. It's not like that. It's, it's an eightfold path. It's one path. You can imagine these various fibers bound together to make a very secure path of roadway for us as we walk along each of these eight factors. And one of these is wise mindfulness. There's wise understanding and wise effort and uh, wise concentration and so forth. Many of them, that's not our subject in this retreat. But to understand that it's a particular kind of mindfulness that has the aspiration of liberating the mind-heart, that's important. That's part of the courage and the source of courage for being present in the moment. It's difficult being present in the moment. We don't take lightly 
that we're asking you to be mindful in the body this entire week. All sorts of things will come up. Some of them quite pleasant, some of them very strange, some of them mysterious, and some of them uh, very wonderful in certain ways, but some quite difficult in the form of memory or body pain or living with a situation that it's hard for you to live with. We're, we're very much aware of that. I refer to our practice as compassionate mindfulness for that very reason. Without compassion, without all the, all the Brahma-viharas, like uh, Pascal was saying about the metta this afternoon, that these, these, these uh, well-beings of the heart, this, this, uh, uh, this uh, great kindness of the heart, is so necessary to stay present. Kindness towards the body. Kindness towards having a body. Kindness to the body's own history, its own experience. This compassionate mindfulness. So when we, when we practice in this way, with samasati, there's an ethical component. Thus the precepts that we're taking. Precepts to protect ourselves and to protect each other. And why we ask you and will remind you at various points if we feel as though a precept's not being understood completely in a way that allows us to have the kind of container for the retreat that we want to give everyone, we may remind you about something or another, some sort of speech thing or whatever it may be, not out of being Dharma police, but out of this caring to create a container where each person feels safe and not distracted by each other's behavior, by all of our behaviors, so that we can really open into this internal experience. Something that we do together alone. Or we could say alone together. Quite profound. Because we are learning how to move from the realm of where we cause ourselves suffering of various kinds to a realm where we can choose non-suffering. This word dukkha is the word that gets translated as suffering. It means unsatisfactory, painful, uh, physical or emotional pain, unreliability, stressful, uncontrollable, ever-changing, lacking a permanence, lacking a center. Dukkha's got many, many different references in relation to the Buddha's teachings. And what we're learning to do is to have a new relationship with the dukkha that is part of life, such that we are not defined by it. We're no longer uh, controlled by it. We have a different relationship to the dukkha, to all of our surroundings, a relationship where not reactive to conditions, but responsive to conditions, responding from our heart with a clear mind that allows our heart to be. This embodied choice, embodied choice, because we've learned to stay embodied under all conditions. When we're embodied, we see what's causing us the suffering. If we're not embodied, we're out there wandering around, a lot less likely to be able to relieve ourselves of our suffering, and a lot less likely still to not cause suffering to others. So this importance over and over again of mindfulness in the body. So then how do we practice mindfulness? There is one particular sutta, 
It's called the Satipatthana Sutta that appears in various parts of the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha taught for 45 years, so there's lots of teachings. And this is a, a, a teaching that is all about mindfulness. And it, uh, it uh, starts with, uh, well, go another way here. There are, there are four Satipatthanas, there are four foundations of mindfulness, four um, areas that, that the mind can examine, uh, a way of staying present by looking at these four areas. It's not the areas themselves, but, uh, but this knowing of them, that's the emphasis. The first is the body. So the Buddha starts his entire teaching with awareness of the body, mindfulness of the body. And it goes from mindfulness of the body then to what is called Vedana, this feeling tone that arises in every moment. So every moment of our lives, there's a little uh, uh, tone, a little flavoring of it being pleasant. This moment's pleasant, and it registers as pleasant, or it registers as unpleasant, or it registers as neither pleasant nor unpleasant. It's kind of neutral. We often don't notice the neutral because we're biologically wired to notice the pleasant and unpleasant for all sorts of reasons. It just makes sense that that would be true. But the power of this Vedna, of this pleasant and unpleasantness, is amazing. It is so controlling of what the mind then experiences. Whether the, the body experience is happening and it's pleasant or unpleasant, whether it's a mental activity, thought, memory, planning, fantasizing, the pleasant or unpleasantness of something in the mind, so powerful. It, it conditions and often can control just by itself this feeling of Vedna. So the, the Buddha follows the, the body instructions with this Vedna, this noticing of the pleasant and unpleasant. Why? Because having established mindfulness of the body, you can then see readily pleasant and unpleasantness in the body. It's not so easy to see pleasant and unpleasant in the mind because our thoughts are such a jumble of pleasant and unpleasant and it's changing so fast. But the body is more steady, more readily available. There's more clarity of seeing it. So the body becomes foundational, not just for itself, knowing itself, but also for knowing Vedna and even knowing the mind. And then the fourth of the four foundations is what's called the Dhammas. And this is about understanding uh, the, the things that cause the mind to get confused and cause the mind to be liberated and how it, the nature of, of a, a mind moment itself. We're not going to be looking very much at that on this retreat. So to uh, read you just a, a moment's worth of this, just to give you a little flavor, this is from the Satipatthana Sutta. And this is uh, from this wonderful book by uh, uh, a bhikkhu, a monk named Analio, and it's called the Satipatthana, the direct path to realization. But he's he's taking this from you know, the, one of the sutta. Sutta means teaching or discourse of the Buddha. Monks, this is the direct path for purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method, for the realization of nibbana 
namely the four satipatthanas. What are the four? Here, monks, in regard to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body. I'm skipping parts here. He abides contemplating feelings. In, in regard to the mind, he abides contemplating the mind. In regard to dhammas, he abides contemplating dhammas, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. And how, monks, does she, in regard to the body, abide contemplating the body? Here, gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, she sits down, having folded her legs crosswise, sets her body erect, and establishes mindfulness in front of her. Mindfulness she breathes in. Mindful she breathes out. Breathing in long, she knows, I breathe in long. Breathing out long, she knows, I breathe out long. And so forth with the breath. And again, monks, when walking, he knows, I am walking. When standing, he knows, I am standing. When sitting, he knows, I am sitting. When lying down, he knows, I am lying down. Or he knows accordingly, however his body is disposed. And there's much more explanation with each of these. I took the liberty of changing the pronoun. So, what we find with each of the Satipatthanas is it is a way of being in the moment. And it all starts with being in the body in this moment. And we we find not only does do these various ways that the Buddha tells us, he gives uh, six different ways of being with the body in the Satipatthana Sutta, and uh, we will do a number of those in the course of this retreat. Uh, an example of that is the elements seeing the body is composed of various elements like earth and air and so forth, and we'll be exploring all that with you. So with each of these... There's a series of values. So one of these is we become grounded. We become grounded in the body. We learn to be in the moment. We learn continuity of mindfulness. All from the body. All of these are from this awareness of the body through these six different exercises in the body, six different kinds of body meditations. So being, being grounded and calm, that's one we learn. Breath is great for that. Being in the moment, this, the watching what the body is doing in the moment. The, the continuity of the body is, is, is another one that we get. Seeing the body dispassionately and seeing the parts of the body. We see that the, uh, the, uh, the ever-changing nature of the body, it's uh, through, through watching the body and see the ever-changing nature of all reality through the body. And we see what's called impermanence, this arising and passing, which is a key, key insight in our path to liberation. All there in the body. So as we see all of this and we get grounded in the body, we see Vedna, we see the pleasant and unpleasant, we start seeing how to work with Vedna, and we discover all of these things then about the mind through the body and the Vedna. But when you take those two together, we say that a lot of the things that happen in our mind is really old habits. It's just old habits. Or it's, it's perceptions that are no longer valid. Or maybe were never even valid. 
and we start to see that the, the mind is so conditioned that if we're not awake, we go with how it's being conditioned. But that if we're awake to it and we see, oh, this is how this, I'm, I'm interpreting this this way. I don't have to interpret this way at all. I can see this a whole other way. This person that's being mean to me at work is it's not about me, it's about this person being in a bad mood or this person's character. It's something other than personal to me. And as we start to see the impersonal nature of so much of our experience, the mind starts to have more space, more choice come to it. This understanding arises in terms of what we call insight, again, for those of you uh, who are new to this practice, and quite a few of you are new to this. We call it insight. Insight is not a logically deduced understanding. It's not didactic formed. It comes like a flash of lightning. It's an aha moment. Oh, that's how that works. I see. Oh, yes. It's that kind of instant knowing, which may take 20 years to arrive, but nonetheless, it's instant and it's arising. It's, a, it's, it's, just, it's an understanding that just suddenly appears in that way. And the insight can be of what is termed mundane in nature, meaning that it helps us have a better day today and tomorrow and the next day, or super mundane in that it really brings about a whole transformation in who and what we are. So that's the full path of liberation. The two go together as we learn not to cause suffering to ourselves moment to moment, to have a more peaceful life, a more sense of authenticity in our lives, a sense of meaning in our lives, a sense of well-being. This creates the conditions where we really start to have a transformation such that we have a free heart in the long term. Everybody, not everybody, but so many people do want to jump ahead to, um, let let me get to the cause of suffering and let's just stay in with the body. That's not enough. But listen to what Ajahn Mun has to say about this. In your investigation of the world, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to leave the body. Never allow the mind to leave the body. Examine the body's nature. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, walking, standing, or lying down. When the body's true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. When the body's true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. Quite worthy what we're doing. Quite worthy. It's courageous. It's dignified. 
It's treating each moment as having its own dignity. The moments we like, the moments we're approving of ourselves, we treat as though those moments have dignity. But equally, the moments when we don't like ourselves, the moments when, in, in jargon, they suck, we treat each of those moments with dignity so that all experience is met as though it has dignity and is being met by dignity. It's a radical, different view versus getting what I want and getting rid of what I don't want. Insight arises as a felt sense. A felt sense. And we cultivate the knowing of felt sense, being receptive felt sense, inviting felt sense to arise through this awareness of the body. So as an exercise, hold out your hand and look at your hand for a moment. What do you see? Maybe you can notice the the length of the fingers or Maybe there's lines on the palm of your hand. I actually have my last initial in lines on the palm of my hand. So whatever you see, maybe it's the smoothness of the skin or the lack of smoothness. Those are all observations, but they are removed from the felt sense. They're removed from the felt sense. Now, close your eyes and start to wiggle your fingers. That is the felt sense. Now, make a fist. That's the felt sense of things going under pressure, turmoil. Now, open the fingers slowly, gently, wide, but not straining. That's the felt sense of opening. That's what we're learning. Open the eyes for a moment. Let your hand rest for a moment you start to get the difference. So all of our direction is pointing you to the felt sense, not for you to have one more view or opinion, even if it's our view or an opinion of the body, but rather your own felt sense of what it is to be embodied. Now, let's put out your hand again. Now let's imagine that this is the mind. The right hand is the mind. Your left hand's held out. Now, uh, let's imi- imagine that the mind's all in, all in turmoil. And so start to press down with the right hand onto the left. That's the felt sense of the mind pushing at something. Pushing it away, or you can wrap your fingers around it, trying to hold on to it. Now that gets tiring, doesn't it? That, that's, you can see that would lead to suffering if you did this for 20 minutes. Let that go. That is the felt sense of the mind through the body. Now, just hover. Hover as though your mind was a little afraid to be present. It's not, it's not grasping at the moment now. Your, your right hand, it occasionally touches the left, but it doesn't stay there at all. So it's just hovering a little. See how unstable that is? See how difficult that would be to be in the moment this way? How often we do that. Let that go. And now, once again, left hand out, and just rest the right hand in it. 
when we rest it and it suddenly we can fill the left palm, right? You can fill all these, you can fill if it's warm or cool. Maybe you can fill the texture of the skin. And not only that, if you switch directions, don't move your hands, you can actually fill the right palm with the left. This is being present in the moment in the felt sense. We're learning to have that kind of freedom with every experience. So that we don't have to grasp, push, pull, hover, but we can just rest in the moment. We're learning to rest in the moment by first learning to rest in the body, particularly the body through breath or body sensations. So that's what we're, that's what we're doing. And then um, as, we, as we move through this, we start to ask ourselves, so now that I'm really having the direct experience of body rather than my ideas about body, what is this? What do I mean when I say body? What are they talking about when they say body? And there's a lot of different ways to understand body. A lot of different ways. In your own experience, I suspect that at different times, you mean something different when you're experiencing what you would say to a friend or report to uh, someone in some circumstance by body experience. You may mean quite different things. So I just want to mention a few of those uh, and, and for you to think about. One is a body, is more a, a concept. This, all of these different parts, which we call body, but which no one part represents the body. Lots of people have lost an arm. They still have a body. They've lost legs. They still have a body. So what is the body? What is the body? But we make it seem so solid, this concept. And what we really mean by that in some way is that it's a vehicle for some kind of functioning. But that is, that is a removed from the felt sense of it, a kind of concept of body. Very useful, very useful, because we need to know how to function in the body and we need to have as, as much a functioning body as we're, as we're fortunate to have. And so nothing wrong with that, but just to see that to, to, to live the body that way is very limited. Um, during my twenties, um, uh, if I would have described my body, I would have described it in a function way. In fact, it wasn't really until my forties, and I'd already I'd done yoga practice in my twenties and thirties very intensively, and I had had uh, you know uh, done various uh, kinds of sports activities, playing handball and such, which are very body based. But I was actually viewing the body as a vehicle of experience. I had not really discovered how to drop in it. In my yoga, so often it was not getting the pose right. I wasn't, most people are so concerned about getting the pose right. I was less interested in that. I was interested in the yoga in terms of, of my mind. I was using the body to know my mind better. And I was really happy with that and I thought that that was enough. And then it was not until my 40s that I really discovered what it meant to be awake in the body, to really be embodied. 
did a whole bunch of different uh, kinds of body practices in addition to the meditation practices to really discover this. And it's a world of difference. So way beyond the concept, the next level of body, going deeper into the more subtle level, is the body as a a sensory activity. Hearing, smelling, tasting, touch, all this sensory activity. So that's body. The body that hears, that smells, that's body. And then there's the body as component parts with the metta this afternoon, seeing the body in its component parts. That's body. That's another way of knowing body. And just as seeing the body in the elements is yet another way, the earth element and the air element and so forth, that's another way to know body. Each of these has its value. Each is a little more subtle. Each has um, its own way of giving us knowledge, giving us a way to practice. And then there is the body as a mind stream of energetic activity. So this the, the, the body as energy in various ways. So the physical body has a kind of energy that's again captured in the four elements. There's an emotional body. Does everyone not have an emotional body? Doesn't that emotional body show up on the cushion with you quite often? To let that emotional body in and feel the embodiment, the relationship of the emotional body to the physical body. And then there's what I would term the vital body, what we, the chi that, that Marcy's working with, uh, us on the, and the qigong. This vital body, the body that's somehow the, where we've got our energy, where we've got this, this, uh, this ability to have a, a kind of agency, a kind of responsiveness to life, where we have this, the, the, our very immune system is so based on a, this kind of vital energy. You'd think, well, that's it. But it keeps going. There's a kind of body that is, uh, that is a very subtle body, that is, that's not quite what we would uh, directly know. We'd have to infer maybe its existence because it's like pure energy. It's, 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 it's not even, it's not that coarseness of energy, but a, a more subtle energy still. There's these kind of experiences that we have when we're not in our body. What's that? Those are still body experiences. You know, when you're, when you've got, where was I for the last 20 minutes? You were still here, so you're still in the body, but what body were you in when you were doing that? And then there's this knowing, this body of knowing, when we really know something. We may know it through the intuition of the body or the intuition of the heart, but we really know it. We really know it. That kind of knowing is a body of knowing. So there's ever subtle levels of this, and we're just at the very beginning of it. So, uh, one way of understanding this is that there's an objective experience of the body, bones, flesh, so forth, and there's a subjective experience of the body. Much of our time on retreat is actually a subjective experience of the body. And as we pay attention, we may find that that's particularly interesting to us. We see how the subjective experience is what uh, leads us to get restless or, or get uh, sleepy or, or not wanting to be here or really excited or uh, that we really start 
making it a me and mine because we like it so much. So we can be interested in that difference between the objective and the subjective aspects. It's very mysterious, this thing called body. Very, very mysterious. This is a poem, a piece of a poem from Rilke. No one lives his life. Disguised since childhood, haphazardly assembled from voices and fears and little pleasures, we come of age as masks. Our true face never speaks. Somewhere there must be storehouses where all these lives are laid away like suits of armor or old carriages or clothes hanging limply on the walls. Maybe all paths lead there to the repository of unlived things. As we come into the body, many of those unlived things come alive. They get lived. This is why, in addition to being a wisdom practice, this is a purification practice. As things come up, they get released. Sometimes all at once. That's terrific when that happens. But sometimes it's over and over and over and over and over again. And we can think, oh, I'm stuck in this. It's never going to change. But it's changing right now. We just don't notice it. Just as though you were cutting up from underneath a big block of ice. You're chiseling away at this ice. And all you can see is the block of ice because everything is covered with the ice. You think, I'm not making any progress. The ice is still there. But no, there's much less ice and much less still and much less still until suddenly there's that all at once moment and it's changed. Oftentimes, in that way, we will feel something changing and be thrilled with the change. This compassionate mindfulness that allows us to keep staying with the present, knowing that there is this purification. Um, uh, Joseph Goldstein, my first teacher, used to say it was everything that arose that was difficult was grist for the mill to be ground up, to be released. So, So it is as we learn to stay with our experience in this way. We are staying with the immediacy of the experience. If we go to the concept of it, if we remove ourselves, if we start hovering or we start grasping and pushing away and all that, then we miss the immediacy of the experience. And it's in the nowness that the release comes, the purification and the knowledge come, the very nowness of experience. Uh, Pascal said last night, uh, making reference to a, a different talk that I've given at other retreats, there is a kind of storehouse consciousness and it appears as though it may well reside here in this body, just as referred to in the poem. Part of what comes up is the trauma of our experience. The trauma of a, a difficult relationship in the past, or a physical trauma, some sort of emotional trauma that happened to us. And it can be difficult to deal with. But the aspiration, remember this is samasati, the aspiration 
is that I want to deal with this. I wish to be free of this. I wish to have a new relationship to it where I am not adding to my suffering. This is my aspiration. I am awakening through the body. I am here to awaken through the body. This too I welcome. This is a poem by uh, a, a poet named Tony Hoagland. And it's from his his book, What Narcissism Means to Me. It's called Phone Call. Maybe I overdid it when I called my father an enemy of humanity. That might have been a little strongly put, a slight over-exaggeration, an immoderate description of the person who at that moment, 2,000 miles away, holding the telephone receiver six inches from his ear, must have regretted paying for my therapy. (laughs) What I meant was that my father was an enemy of my humanity. And what I meant behind that was that my father was split into two people, one of them living deep inside of me like a bad king or an incurable disease, blighting my crops, striking down my herds, poisoning my wells. The other, standing in another time zone in a kitchen in Wyoming with bad knees and white hair sprouting from his ears. I don't want to scream forever. I don't want to live without proportion, like some kind of infection from the past. So I have to remember the second father, the one whose TV dinner is getting cold while he holds the phone in his left hand and stares blankly out the window, where just now the sun is going down and the last fingertips of sunlight are withdrawing from the hills they once touched like a child. Could you feel the embodiment of his aspiration? He did not want to scream forever. That was an embodied aspiration. He didn't want to live without proportion. So it is. We choose to receive all of experience. We choose to awaken in the body so that we have choice in this way. When we stay with the immediacy of our experience, whether it's around something pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, it is a rebalancing of our nervous system. It will serve us in dealing with stress, trauma, uh, our wanting mind, our aversive mind, our deluded mind. It will serve us and dealing with all of these different hindrances of mind that arise in our practice and arise in our daily life. You can see this in the course of this retreat. Each of us can see this in the course of the retreat. It's not hard to see the advantages of staying embodied if we first do it, if we first stay in body. We don't always want to see it because that means that we'll keep doing it. And we want to escape, you know, we want to get out of dodge. But if we keep seeing the advantage, 
seeing what we gain, we more and more will choose to stay present. Some of you may think, oh, that's no problem for me. I do this all the time anyway. Let's see. Let's see. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. How did you do in the walking meditation? Did you feel that foot rising from the earth? Did you feel it move through the air? Were you present when it landed? Or you missed that rising and you sort of were there for the setting down. Or maybe you missed about 20 steps out of the 20. (laughs) It happens. The same with the sitting. We discover that being in the body is a resting place for the mind. It's a shelter for the mind. The breath is a shelter for the mind. Body experience is a shelter for the mind. When we get to staying with the mind, when we turn later in this retreat to looking at all the emotional states and all the the various kinds of mind states that arise, it is so valuable to have this access to the body. I know how to come back to the breath. I know how to come back to body sensations. I can choose whether to stay with this thought that I've had this thought so many times. I know where this thought leads. Oh, now I have a choice. I can go back to breath. I have found how to rest attention, like resting that right hand in the left, how to really rest in body and breath. Such a gain, such a gain. We gain choice. We gain choice so that we can be with any and all experience without having it define us. Instead of being a puppet, always reacting to whatever the conditions are, we gain a freedom of response to conditions. Um, uh, I wrote this book called Dancing with Life, and the mind that is untrained is the mind that needs to be liberated. The untrained mind is unliberated because it is like a puppet on the strings of pleasant and unpleasant. There's no choice. But a mind that has been liberated, that sees the coming and going, sees the ever-changing, knows how to find a place to rest. It has a responsive relationship to life. It has choice. I will end with this um, this wonderful teaching uh, called In This Passing Moment by Shoto Harada Roshi. In this passing moment, karma ripens and all things come to be. Everybody close your eyes with this. Just close your eyes. Really rest in the body. In this passing moment, in this passing moment, karma ripens and all things come to be. All things come to be. I vow to choose what is. I vow to choose what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is pain, I choose to feel. If there is sorrow, 
I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. When I shoulder, what I shoulder, I choose to bear. When it is my death, I choose to die. Where this takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. Being with what is, I I respond to what is. Being with what is, I respond to what is. This is the fruit of awakening in the body. This choice to be, to be free in the heart, to have a mind that is clear. Thank you for your kind attention. It's time for walking practice now, and then we'll be back in here for the last formal sit of the evening. Some of you, uh, it would be wiser maybe for you to go rest. We recognize that, rest the body. But for others, it would be, uh, you've got the energy to, to practice some more. So give yourself that. I particularly would ask that you if, if, uh, that you at least do some walking before you before you uh, even if you're really tired you've heard this talk let the words go you've Thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org/donate